Today, Joe Scobie has got the message for us, and so Joe has been with us since the beginning. As a matter of fact, it was down there where he's, the New Covenant Fellowship started right down in that little bitty building where he's, got, where he's got his shop right now. And uh, so it was, uh, so we really, it's fortunate to have Joe and Rosie both with us, but Joe's got the message, so Joe, if you'll come right now and give the, what God's laid on your heart. Welcome him right now to New Covenant, would you? He's always welcome. He's one of our elders. Some days we forget to look around us. Some days we can't see the joy that surrounds us. So caught up inside ourselves. Take when we should give So for tonight We pray for What we know can be And on this day We hope for What we still can't see It's up to us to be thankful for Look beyond ourselves There's so much sorrow It's way too late to say I'll us must find our truth We're so long overdue So for tonight we pray for What we know can be And every day we hope for What we still can It's up to us to be the change And even though we all can still do more There's so much to be thankful for Even with our differences There is a place we're all connected of us can find each other's light. 
Father, we come to you today. I just ask that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, would be reflected in the words that I say. Anything that would not be of truth, would not be of you, I hope that it can be just disregarded. And we just pray that eyes and ears may be open to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about most of you, but I do readings and whenever I read a scripture or something and something just sticks with me, I just have to continue to stay there and study till I find out what it is that is bothering me about it, what, till I can put at peace with it. Uh, I guess if I was going to title this, it would be Second Thoughts of Genesis. <laughs> um, I have... Uh, as I share, I'll share, probably I'm going to read from King James, but the Aramaic Bible and also the New English Bible is where some of these references come from, scripture that I'll mention uh, in interpretation. And as I've said before, wherever I speak, I just share, the only thing I know to do is to share what God shares with me and uh, what he's told me or what I'm studying or what I'm reading about and uh, and give that to you as well. My text this morning would be from Genesis 4. And it says, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time came to pass that Cain brought the fruits of his ground and offered them to the Lord. And Abel, he also brought the first things of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but to Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? And if thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at thy door, and unto thee shall be the desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass, and when they were in a field, that Cain rose up against Abel and his brother, and he slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? First off, Genesis naturally means a source or origin. And one thing, I guess as I... There's a couple of things in this scripture, just this portion right here, that just really bothered me, that I had a hard time relating to and getting over, and it has for a while, so as I started studying and went back, this is some of the things I found. What's in a name? How many of you know what your name means? You need to find out. My name means productive one. Uh different people, our kids even, we have noticed that, and I think it's a God-given instinct within you to name your child, because most of the time you'll find out whatever you've named them really kind of describes them. Now, sometimes, you know, 
I taught on Jezebel last time, and I said, no one names her child Jezebel anymore. <laughs> it has a meaning. It has a root to it. So a name is a very important thing. In this case, Cain means possession, human consciousness, to acquire and to possess selfishly a body-type experience. Abel means breath, air, spiritual realm, life energy, more related to the mind. The body demands possession of the resources of the mind. And this is why we find out that Cain slay Abel. Take no concern for what you shall eat or drink, for your Father provides. That's what Jesus said. And in the case of what we're looking at here, Cain wanted to possess. It was the possession of things where Abel, it was a more pure meaning. It was, he had no concern. Father was providing for him. But your mind wants that provision. It wants to know. It wants that selfishness that, that to acquire and to hold. In Genesis 4 and 3, as it goes on, it says that these two, says, in a process of time came to pass and came brought forth. So we note that what happened in this time is very curious. We, we have a tendency, I think, to relate that all of a sudden these things just happened. All this took place at one time. We're so used to having instant everything that when we read this, it's like, all right, she had a child, this happened, this happened, this happened. But these are men. It says in a process of time they became the bearer for the livestock and the one that tilled the ground, and things took order. So you kind of have to wonder, if your family was like my family, or most, I think, there's a pecking order. There naturally turns out to be a pecking order in a family. Usually the oldest is the one that dominates, and the youngest one's the one that gets picked on, right? <laughs> I was a young one. <laughs> so things happened, we're sure, in the family. They just had to, naturally. Uh, I'm sure these they were grown men. As time passed, um, they probably had offenses. I know my children, <laughs> my kids have talked back now, and sometimes they still talk back about things that their siblings did that really irritated them, things that they still have problems, I guess maybe in some ways forgiving them for, that they did to them or something that they, they've done. Um, I know we've talked to Jerry's sister, Linda. She has some things that she can tell about Jerry <laughs> and the things that he did. I think she still holds in context. <laughs> so those offenses, Cain's job, and then there's Abel's job. Was one more important than the other? I, the Scripture doesn't say anything about it being more important. It doesn't ever relate that one job of tilling the ground to the job of raising the livestock is any more important. Uh, but I can imagine if I was in that position, if I had Cain's job, I probably wouldn't like it as much as Abel's. I wouldn't like being out in the sun and being out in the soil and planting. And the Bible said that that curse said that he would have to till the ground, he would have to work, and it would be hard work. So maybe that was a little bit of the revenge that he felt. I don't know. But every job is important. Can the hand say, the Bible says, to the arm that I have no need of thee? 
Can a trash man say to a doctor that your job's more important than mine? We have a tendency, though, to put tags on the jobs that people have, whether they're, how important they are. Um, one thing I tell people with the, uh, with our, our body shop and all, a lot of times I've spoke before some of the kids at the uh, youth center and, and, and job days at the, uh, the schools, that it's not that important sometimes. I, I think we overemphasize the need for college a lot. Um, uh, I've told some of these boys, I said, you know, I, I know we rent to some railroad guys in Mississippi, and those guys start off at $70,000, and they don't have to have a college education. I have guys in our profession that earn $20 and plus an hour, you know, and they enjoy what they're doing. That's the main thing, to enjoy what you're doing. It's not the other part of it, but we've overemphasized, I think, and in doing that, we have lessened the ability, I think, of some jobs that are out there that people find hard to do. So instead, we have to have Mexicans come in and do some of the work that we don't want to do anymore. But the big important thing is, job is not your source. The Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord and do it with all your might. Now, there's a universal law, and it's called the law of attraction. Unfortunately... What we affirm a lot of times, even what we affirm in prayer a lot of times, is a problem. It's not a solution. And anytime we identify with a problem, all we're doing is asking for more of that problem. And we heap and compound and bring more and more of our problems upon ourselves. I have another video I want you to watch, and this is concerning the law of attraction. This just hit me as such a good video whenever I saw it that it... And it fits in so well with what I'm trying to say that I'd like you to watch this. I will never forget that cup of coffee. Well, a couple years ago, I was traveling when my schedule worked out on Christmas Eve. I thought the airport was going to be a zoo, so I got there a couple hours early. It wasn't. It wasn't crowded at all. So for me, that means coffee. So I get get down into my terminal, Terminal D, and I see the green sign. And when I travel these days, I always wear earbuds, you know, so I'm I'm rocking out to Coldplay. And I see the sign, I get in line, and there's one woman in front of me. And she's having a very animated conversation with the barista. She's kind of waving her arms, and they're both smiling and laughing. So I wasn't in a rush, but out of curiosity, it popped out my earbuds. And sure enough, you know, they're going on about their holidays and their plans and the kids and presents. And she starts to move down the line. So it's my turn to order. And I was greeted with this very warm and sincere welcome. This woman said to me, hi, my name's Lily. What's your name? I said, I'm Ryan. She said, Ryan, what can I make for you today? I said, well, I, I want a grande pumpkin spice latte. She said, you want whipped cream on that, don't you? I said, yeah, yeah, I want the whipped cream. She said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. She said, I'm going to make it extra hot, load it up with whipped cream, sprinkle a little nutmeg on top. That's how I like it. You're going to love it. I said, sounds great. She said, where are you going? I said, Cleveland. She said, are you going back to Cleveland to spend the holiday with your family? I said, yes. Now, at this point, I start looking around for the camera, right? I mean, I'm trying to get a latte. So I move down the line. And the conversation continues, and she's funny. She's asking me questions about my family and our holiday traditions. She's laughing, and I'm laughing. And she hands me my drink and says to me, Ryan, 
have a safe trip back to Cleveland. Go create some extraordinary memories with your family. When you come back through the Minneapolis airport, I want you to stop here and tell me all about it. You know, so I, I get my drink, I start walking away, and I stop and I look back at this woman, and I think to myself, you know, it's, it's Christmas Eve. Most people would rather be anywhere else in the world than serving coffee in an airport. Not her. It was like she was meant to be there. And I, I couldn't help myself. I had to go back. So I did. I walked back and I said, excuse me, Lily. And you know, she jumps around. Ryan, is everything okay with the latte? I said, no. I said, the latte is perfect. I just had to come back and ask you, what, what is your secret to making such meaningful connections over serving coffee? Well, she, she corrected me. She said, Ryan, I'm not serving coffee. I said, okay, what are you doing? <laughs> she had thought about this. She had thought about this. What she told me was, I'm pouring happiness into people's lives. I said, you're pouring what? Like, what is pouring happiness? And her definition of pouring happiness. She wants to be happy in her life. She wants to be around happy people. She cares about her customers. She wants them to come back. So she chooses, even on Christmas Eve, to smile, to have fun, to help people, to just be happy. Instead of just focusing on how to be successful, focus on how to be helpful. The other thing she understands and masters straight away is the very specific and intentional decision around how she chooses to show up, even on Christmas Eve. You know this. A lot of things happen in work and in our lives that are beyond our sphere of influence or control. She doesn't control the weather in Minneapolis. Trust me, I live there. All she gets to own is how she chooses to respond to those things. Decide how you show up. You know, it's interesting. When I, when I met Lily, she would have had no way of knowing this, but I, uh, I was pretty heavy in the heart and had a lot on my mind. My parents... Both retired school teachers, married 45 years. About three months before that holiday, I got a call from mom. We got some really tough medical news about dad. Uh, it was a terminal diagnosis, and we knew we probably weren't going to have a lot of time. So I was sitting in that airport on Christmas Eve, not in the best place in the world. I will never forget that cup of coffee. When you decide to show up, consistently as the best version of who you are, it gives you your best opportunity to meet people where they are. And you never know when someone needs you to be your best. Job is not your source. God is your source. As we read on, we say that Cain brought forth the fruit of his ground as an offering unto the Lord. What is an offering? The dictionary says it's a contribution, a donation, a present, a handout, described as a widow's mite, which God took, or Jesus took more meaning to the widow and her mite than he did all the great things that everybody else was giving. So an offering is something that we give unto the Lord. It's something 
that's not mandatory. It's something, and this is the first case that I think we see in the Bible of an offering. It's the first offering that was ever made. And it turns out so wrong, doesn't it? You know, we as givers, and I'll tell this story whenever we have got a new car years and years ago, and God just impressed him on me to give my old car away. And so I prayed about it for a while, and I knew who I was supposed to give it to. And so I told Rosie, I said, we're supposed to give our old car away whenever we get the new one. And she said, who we're supposed to give it to? I said, I know. When you know, we'll give it away. So I waited, and she come to me, and she said, I think I know who we're supposed to give it to. I said, who do you think? She told me. I said, that's right. That's who the Lord told me. So I said, we've got confirmation. I think the important part about this is, men, whatever you do, it should be in agreement with your wife. Don't you agree? So much happens whenever we don't, we move and we do things that their spouses are not in agreement with us on. But in this case, it was. Well, the funny thing about this is I already had a release on what to do with this car. And, you know, I thought at one point in time, you know, I don't, they're driving a cruddy old car. You know, they can use it. But, you know, what if they want to give it away or sell it or do whatever they want to do with it? Well, guess what? They decided they wanted to sell it. <laughs> and you know what? That didn't bother me at all because it was an offering that God had give, told me what to do with. It was theirs to do with whatever they wanted to. There was no strings attached to it. An offering is something you give up, you give away, you let it go. There's no strings to it. Well, in this case, we have an offering. And the thing that got to me and one of the things that bothered me the most is this word that comes up here. And it says that he brought the offering to the Lord and the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering. (laughs) I could, this really bothered me. Why did he have respect? Of all words the Bible uses and all words that... Why did he have respect for one offering and not have respect for the other? And, you know, some say it's because one was an animal and had blood, and some say it was, you know, because it was a fruit of the ground. But I don't buy that. And, and as I studied this, I found out and I thought about this, respect shows to feel or show honor, admiration, praise, awe. Uh, respect is mutual to me. It's something that has to be mutual. You know, if if I respect you, generally you want respect back. It's something, it's a mutual agreement that you come up with. It's reciprocal. You reciprocate respect. Uh, how do you show respect? Can you think of some ways you show respect? I mean, when somebody compliments you, what do you say? Thank you. Or, you know, you reciprocate some way. You show that you appreciate what they're saying or what they're doing. Somebody does a favor for you. How do you reciprocate? You do. You show you show honor back to them for what they've done. The lack of respect, on the other hand, uh, we see so much of that, don't we? I mean, just look at what our values are for just human life alone right now. Our value for human life is such a low right now. People don't respect human life at all. We have killings with gangs just shooting each other. In St. Louis, there might be, you know, three or four shootings a weekend. My one son works for uh, 
Barnes Hospital and Children's Hospital, and he's a, the social worker on call at night that when they bring in in abuse cases that he talks about with these little kids and getting shot, little babies getting shot, and, and it's just unbelievable the things that goes on. And you think, how could anybody do this? What kind of respect for human life could anybody have that could shoot another human being just for no reason at all? These school shootings and these people that are going in because they're distraught about being fired or something in a job and shooting people, no respect. It's gone. Uh, Abortion, the way we're killing babies. I mean, our country uh, doesn't seem to have the respect it used to have for our military even. You know, for the people that are, are guarding our country and protecting us. Uh, and it couldn't be. The other thing that bothers me is I know a couple of places in the Scripture, Acts ten thirty four, Ephesians 6 and 9 says, God is no respecter of persons. If that's the case, then how can he not have respect for Cain? And this kind of bothered me. Uh, until I got to thinking about it, and when you start thinking about respect being something that's reciprocal, I began to see that respect here had to do with something greater. It had to do with worship. One's heart was greater than the other's heart. We began to see that Cain had some bitterness. Cain had some things that he must have to contend with that he hadn't. And he didn't have an attitude of gratitude at all about what his job was and what he was doing. (laughs) I heard a story about a young man that wanted to go into the monastery, become a young monk. And so he went and asked, and they told him, yes, we'll take you in, but you have to work for three years, and you have to be silent. Once a year, you're able to say two words. We'll call the abbot, we'll call you in, and you can say two words. So the first year went by, And he came in, and the abbot called him in. He said, work hard, works hard. Left and came back. The second year, he worked, and he got along with everybody. He meditated, he studied, he spent time with the Lord. He came in, said his two words. He said, floors are cold. The third year, the abbot called him in. He came in, and he said, food's bad. So the young the abbot said, all right, that's enough. Get your stuff and get out of here. And the young monk said, what's wrong? What explanation do you have? And he said, you've complained ever since you've been here. <laughs> Maybe that's the way some of us are. We've got a lot of complaints. <laughs> and sometimes we just communicate it all without even speaking, just like he did. It's an attitude that we have. Of the two words that he chose, he found something negative pretty well in all of it. Victor Frankl says, everything, I think she's going to put this on the board for you, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last thing of human freedom to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. That's the thing that God gave us, free choice. Now, the second thing that bothered me in this scripture, and it came, and these are, 
This is where I varied from King James because I went to the Aramaic to find out what was really being said here. And it's when, uh, when the Lord said unto him, to, to Cain, why thou art wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? He said, if thou doest well, thou shalt not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be thy desire, and thou shalt rule over him. This word in Hebrew is temshel. T-I-M-S-H-E-L, but it's, spelled, it's pronounced temshel. And he says, basically, you may rule, you may be triumphed over evil, and you may have abundant life. The verb that was used in this context, may, means, and it's, apparently it's one of the most difficult scriptures that they, the scholars argue over. It says it's one of the five most difficult scriptures to translate and understand because it's translated so many different ways. You shall, and that's an order of command, you will implies predestination. You cannot, which means hopelessness or dependence. And all these definitions define a relationship with God that leaves little freedom. One translation kind of says, and the one in your one says, don't be dead or don't be passive victim. Be active, be alive. It reads with good advice. There is this problem with evil, and you really should deal with it. So we're beginning to see that Cain did have a problem. Jesus put it this way. If you have a problem with your brother, leave your gift at the altar and go make it right with your brother. The English word can be translated maybe or it may be. So, as I see this, and it's not necessarily gone back to the pecking order, because we find out that God said in this that you will still rule over your brother. A couple of the versions, and I think King James was one of them, says you will rule over your brother. So, it was still the, the traditional, he is the ruler over his brother. All this did not happen in one day. This bitterness must have grown. How do you deal with your ego? Ego, I always, E-G-O is edging God out. How do you deal with your ego? Because that is basically the mindset. The mind coming forth telling you what you want, what the body wants, what, what, what the flesh wants. The other thing that I found amazing in this was whoever slays Cain in vengeance shall be taken on him seven foes. And I read this, and I thought this was very pertinent to this. It says, this mark that set upon Cain was to prevent his being slain is a man's consciousness a divine origin. No matter how deep the holy ego or the body ego may be transgressed, it still bears the stamp 
of God and can never be killed out entirely. We cannot kill life for it is eternal, but we can allow the body, the ego, Cain, to kill the consciousness of life within the individual organism. Every man by his example and word is his brother's keeper. Jesus said, even if you let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works, glorify the Father who is in heaven. This does not nullify or innate the freedom of your brother, but rather strengthens your ability to cooperate with the good and make it manifest in your life. Be active. Be alive. There is a problem with evil, but you should deal with it. Cain had a choice, but he let bitterness take over. He would not change his way of thinking. He was his brother's keeper. Jesus said, I go that I may leave you a teacher, the Holy Spirit of God, who is your teacher. You know, I'd never noticed that, but that's Jesus, the only teacher he ever said he was going to leave us was who? The Holy Spirit. He never said he would leave any other source. So if you really want to know, where's that teaching going to come from? The Holy Spirit. And where's the Holy Spirit dwell? But if he only dwells inside you and if you don't let him out, is there ever anything really taught? The mission of Jesus was to find that which was lost, not the man, I don't think, but the spiritual consciousness that was lost. What Adam and Eve had was a consciousness with God that was unspoken, that was able to be communicated. It was lost. But through the power of the Holy Spirit that was left of us as a teacher, we have the right back to that consciousness, to that communication. We ask for the Holy Spirit to come down so much of the time. He doesn't have to come down. The Bible says he dwells within us. He is in us. But we can refine him. We can retain him. We can keep him where we want him to be. And that's down in us, not out of us. So much of the time we, we have, but we think that we have to be moved and there has to be something come down. It doesn't come down. It comes out. And we need to learn to let the Holy Spirit manifest himself to us. And he usually does it, for me, he does it in a quiet way, usually in a quiet place. When I get quiet before him and I listen, he speaks. Unfortunately, my ego self wants to interrupt that time all the time. It wants to tell me all the things that I need to do during a day's activities. It wants me to arrange my schedule It wants me to talk about the TV show that was on last night or something. There's always something. Your ego is going to continue to try to penetrate. And the only way you're going to ever learn to do that is to get quiet, quiet enough that those things stop coming through. And that is hard to do. I can't do it. But I can do it more often than I used to could. And I can hear more than I used to could hear. I have guys come in, and I guess one of the things, kindness was the theme for this month, and I'm kind of giving you the opposite side (laughs) of kindness in between Cain and Abel. But hopefully out of that, we're showing how much kindness, how much being able to restore 
forgiveness in all our lives is, is valued. How great a thing that is. I have people come in, and I guess my emphasis would be, and they say, you're not retired yet? I'm getting ready to turn 70, and you're not retired yet? And I said, no, you know, I enjoy what I'm doing. But it's not my job. God is my source. I don't look at that. That's just something I'm doing. And if you enjoy doing it, why not do it, you know? Uh, But the big thing is my source is God. And we have to continue to remember that. I think Cain and Abel and their circumstance and situation here, it became a competitive thing. It became a thing between them. But yet one of them was able to worship. One of them was able to get into that frame of mind. And I think it's so important that we are able to tune ourselves in such a way as to listen to the Holy Spirit and let him guide and direct us. Father, we thank you that you left us a teacher, the Holy Spirit. And we are so thankful that although we make mistakes, and we've made plenty of them, I'm sure, and we seem to falter in things that we do, your intentions for us are good and not evil, and you bring every circumstance, everything in our lives around. If we just commit our ways unto you and our desire of our hearts, you will create goodness in our lives. We know that for a fact. We thank you for the word this morning that it renews our spirit in such a way that we know that we want to worship you above all things, that we want to put the flesh aside and we want to concentrate upon the things of spirit. We thank you this morning We ask your blessings now upon the remainder of this day and upon our time together.